This morning, I want to just remind those of you who were not here last Sunday that um, Pam and I went down to uh, spend some time with our district supervisor, and uh, after a long conversation about our future and how we can, you know, kind of ease ourselves out of ministry wisely and carefully in a way that doesn't hurt anybody or scare anybody, um, he said, well, I'm not exactly sure how you're going to do that, but what I do know is if you get away for a little bit and pray, God knows how, and he will show you. So he really recommended, he said, have you ever had a sabbatical before? And I said, yeah, no. And um, he said, you really need to get off the wheel, out of the grind, so you can actually hear the Lord. So uh, starting September 1-ish, we're going to be gone for 90 days, back around Thanksgiving. And so uh, we're going to be praying and seeking the Lord about how to wisely move forward so RCC just has an even better future than its past has been. So be praying for Pam and I. And also, I just want to remind you, it's going to be all hands on deck. We need everybody to step up. Pastor Kevin's going to take the leadership role, but he's already building his team around him for both the pulpit and worship and for youth ministry and everything else. So if there's ever a time where you're needed, this is it, okay? So pray for us and pray that God's will be done because when we all come back together on Thanksgiving, uh, we want to just process. What's the Lord saying? And let's just kind of get back together and, and review. I'm very excited about it. All right, this morning I want to uh, let you know that our world is in trouble. Anybody agree with that? So I, I want to talk about how to change that. And uh, it's been a sobering week if you ever watch the news. Is there anybody who just doesn't watch the news? They just go, you know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm proud of you. I really, I, I'm actually deciding to just not watch the news anymore. But it's been so depressing you know, the shootings and 30 people dead in Dayton and El Paso. And then I just found out in my hometown of Garden Grove, California, there was this random madman stabbing people. That's where I grew up. And I'm going, oh, God, it's so scary and sickening. And I just, ugh, it, it really hurts my heart, especially when I hear our leaders in politics and everywhere else, and comedians on TV, and there's just so much ugliness and name-calling, and it's just painful to watch, and so I just can't watch it anymore. And uh, if there's ever a time that the world needed Jesus, this is it. Because there is no other hope. There is no other hope. No politician's going to fix it. No economic boom. No new leadership. Nothing is going to fix the state of humanity except for Jesus. And so I want to make sure that um, as we see things kind of co collapsing and crumbling around us, like I just heard a little talk on the rise of the dark web and uh, violent video games and the way the internet is not only being used for good, but being abused for evil. I mean, just sheer evil. And uh, then... Uh, Human trafficking, sex trafficking, modern-day slavery, drug trafficking, and every other evil, ugly thing. And so what, what I sense is there's a, a very intentional, gradual, but very intentional cultural change that's occurring. Someone's trying to change America. But it's not just America. It's the entire world. But the mastermind behind that, it's not the Russians. It's not the North Koreans, it's not the Iranians, it is the devil. Satan is the mastermind behind the collapse and the crushing of humanity around the world. He is the one that drops ideas into the minds of weak and self-centered people to do his bidding. 
And because they don't worship God or serve him, the ideas, for some reason, some twisted way sound good to them, and they follow through. And so several people are being used as pawns to destroy the world as we know it. And the problem is not that people are evil. Yes, they are, and give themselves over to evil. The problem is the devil is pure evil. And the entire planet is under siege. There's a cosmic conflict between good and evil. There is a war between light and dark, between God and Satan and his, and his demons. And so we're right in the center. Man is the prize. They're both fighting for our souls. And the only way God wins the war is when Jesus comes into play. It's not just cleaning up your act, moving to a better part of town, turning off your TV or selling your internet. It's coming under the lordship of Christ. That's where people become and remain free and actually become powerful and influential. So I've been chewing on this this weekend. Um, Pam and I were talking about it, and we came to the conclusion that the last thing that we now must do is just sort of paste on this evangelist tag and start blabbering about Jesus everywhere we go. I mean, I'm sensing urgency. So I, I, want, I just feel like I'm an evangelist at heart, and I want to I just... Every chance I get, talk to people about Jesus everywhere I go. In the 70s, back in the day, Jesus People Movement, there was an urgency because we were sure that Jesus was coming back. And we needed to get all of our friends and family saved because it won't be long now and he'll be coming down. You better be ready to go up. That didn't happen, obviously. I think the urgency today is a little bit different. It's not that he's coming back so quickly. He might. But that things are deteriorating so quickly. And it's going to get harder and harder and harder for people to hear the voice of God. So I'm feeling this pressure, Lord. I've, I've, if there was one last thing I ever shared with the church in Renton, it would be, let's let people know. Now is the time to be bold and vocal about our Savior because he is our only hope. The problem is we can't just patch on a name tag that says evangelist. I'm going to suddenly become bold and amazing. The only way we're going to become actually influential is to do what Mary Magdalene did. She came to Christ with all of her garbage, all of her history, all of her shame and guilt, gave her heart to Jesus, bowed down before him, and Jesus made this amazing comment to her. He said, she who is forgiven much will love much. You see, when she became aware of how far from God she had fallen, and how far she had come to get back to him, that he was the one that forgave her and drew her right back into his arms. That's what gave her the passion and the commitment and the boldness from that day forward to be a bright light in her world. And that's where you and I need to begin as well. The way you grow in your passion for the lost is first grow in your passion and love for Jesus. That's the only way it can happen. He said... Any man who drinks of this water, from out of him will flow rivers of living water. And that's the way you influence people, is just by being so in love and so filled with Jesus, the person, his word, his Holy Spirit, that he just comes out every time we're around somebody, in our actions, in our words, in our deeds. And if we're living that way, constantly just saying, Jesus, pour in, pour in, pour into me, that's what's gonna change the world. If you wanna change the world, don't just take it out on your own and go, woohoo, let's go have a crusade.
That might be your call, but first be filled with his person. So how do you do that? I was digging through a lot of my favorite verses on how to be filled with the Spirit, how to get more of Jesus. We sing about that all the time. Ashley prayed that for us. And I came across, I think, one of the best picture um, teachings that Paul the Apostle ever gave. And it was uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And he's now uh, kind of on his last legs. Paul is writing this from prison. He's uh, assigned Timothy to pastor a couple of the churches around Ephesus. And he's a young man. He's a timid man. And so uh, Paul is writing a couple of letters. And this is the last letter to Timothy that Paul wrote. And he's kind of leaving him with his last words before he goes to be with Jesus. And he's saying, Timothy, here's Here's what you need to focus on. If there's nothing else you do, do these things. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. So he gives us three metaphors. He's saying to Timothy, Here, let me give you some word pictures, okay? I want you to be like a soldier, I want you to be like an athlete, and I want you to be like a farmer. And he's then building these little images for us to say this is what it means to really press into God. This is a way to do that, to see yourself and to think through it. And, and the kind of values and commitments that these three people groups are making for success, you do that too. And you will draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Before we look at those, I love the very beginning and the very end. Uh, verse 2, uh, he begins with saying, pass these things on to reliable people who are also able to teach others. And one of the cool things about the Bible is when you are influenced by it, you become influential around others. It just happens. When you pass things on to people who are hungry, those are reliable people, they're actually hungry, uh, pretty much anything you do and say is going to stick because that's the power of God's word. If you allow it to get into you, it will get into the people around you. Uh, we have a lot of people not here today, the mission team, about 20 of them are in Montana at the Crow Indian Reservation. Be praying for them all week. Uh, I understand things are going well. And then uh, at my house, we're having a family reunion and 40 of Pam's relatives are over. So my entire clan is not here today except for me. I, I tried to get the day off, but I couldn't. So, uh, But those of you who are here, I'm really glad you made that decision. I, I bring that up because... Um, not all of our relatives are saved, and they've been with us since about Thursday. They started trickling in, and uh, it's so fun to watch people respond to my family, the ones especially that I'm pretty sure don't know the Lord. And we're not doing anything religious. We're not having church or anything. We're not reading the Bible to them. We're just being ourselves, just being our family. And I'm just watching, like, especially my children, around their peers, because a lot of the cousins are there, all the 30-somethings. And it's just, I just sit back and go, oh, Jesus is everywhere. It's just so cool, and nobody's even trying. It's just who they are. I just want you to know, if you allow Jesus to influence you, you will influence others toward the kingdom. It just happens. And then I love the very last verse, verse 7. It's where the um, second cool thing is uh, it says, when we reflect, like on what Paul's telling us about these three groups, the Greek word means if we take time to ponder, 
consider, perceive, understand, comprehend. He says, the Lord will give you insight. All you have to do is like read a verse and just chew on it for a bit. Envision it, you know, visualize what is going on there. And, and suddenly the Holy Spirit will just start dropping revelation, insight. That word insight, in fact, it, it means uh, it's sunesis in Greek, which we get our word synthesis from. What is synthesis? Yeah, Tim's going like this. When two things come together and become one of the same. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom and help you put two and two together. If you don't understand something, you read something in the Bible and suddenly whew, he'll put the question and the answer together. It's just so cool. God will actively teach you and speak to you if you spend time in his word. So if you want to grow in your passion, your love for Christ, uh, here's what Paul tells us to do. He says, first of all, pay the price. He says, join with me in suffering, Timothy, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So he's giving us this image of a soldier versus those who are living civilian life. And uh, how many of you have served in the military? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Congratulations and thank you. Um, while you were serving, were you allowed to just go off and do whatever you want? No. Man, you were like pretty much in prison. It, it was a heart commitment, I'm sure, or you were drafted, but once you're in, you're in. There's no, there's no getting out, right? So that, that's a pretty severe commitment. And so Paul is intentionally using something that kind of severe and, uh, you know, sort of entraps us. But in this case, it's in love for our commanding officer, who is Christ. So he's saying, I want you to be like a soldier who's made that level of a commitment. And he says, for instance, you're not going to get involved in civilian affairs. And I, I thought there's a thousand civilian affairs, like wrapped up in politics, uh, making money, um, doing things that feed our ego, or just seeking pleasure. That's all worldly civilian kind of living, right? And he's saying, don't do that. Instead, try to figure out how to please your commanding officer. So, for instance, instead of thinking earthly politics are going to solve the problems, how about if we learn about the government of God and just put his power into play in every area? How about instead of making money, how about if we make disciples? Sure, we have to work. we got to eat. We're called to take care of our own families. But that's not the ultimate end of mankind. The chief end of man is to make disciples while we're making a living and taking care of our family. How about instead of feeding our ego, we feed our spirit? Read, fellowship, worship. How about if seeking our own pleasure, we seek to sacrifice, actually look for ways to sacrifice to help other people. Those are the ways Paul's saying, that's what a soldier does. He's trying to please his commanding officer. He said, if you do that, you will grow large in Christ. Now, I find it interesting that Paul considers all of these things a matter of, he uses the word suffering. Join with me in suffering. Now, he was in prison. It was, um, what do you call that? Involuntary confinement. He's not inviting us to come to prison to live with him. He's using the suffering kind of, it's on a, a spectrum. You know, there's severe suffering, like what's happening if you say to somebody in China, I'm a Christian, you're going to Siberia or a prison camp or something like that. That's like a 10 on the suffering scale. A one might be, oh shoot, I have to get up early to take my mom to the airport, but I'll do it anyway. Okay, that's, that's a one. 
And so what Paul's saying is anywhere on this spectrum, when you choose God over self or spirit over flesh, it costs you something. There's a sacrifice. That's the price we have to pay. So he's making the most of his situation in prison. He's saying, I'm going to suffer for Christ, and I'm going to be a good soldier, but I, I don't have many options here. I'm in chains. He actually said, I am in chains. He's got a guard with him 100 or 24 hours a day. So what did he do? He didn't curl up into the fetal position and suck his thumb. He made the most of every opportunity. He spoke to those guards day in, day out, day in and day out. He probably prayed for them, prayed for all of the, the young leaders that he had out there in Asia Minor, making the most of every situation. It simply says, I'm going to suffer for Jesus by choosing to pay a price that my flesh may not want to pay, like signing up for Sunday school, doing announcements, yeah. Instead of playing the victim card or woe is me or nobody has it as hard as I do, it's simply saying yes to God and whatever he puts before us. And the more we do that, the more sensitive we, come, we become to his voice so that when an unbeliever does pass through our lives and the Holy Spirit says, now, share something with him. We've practiced obeying and it comes easier and easier and easier. Paul's saying do that and you'll be on fire for your Savior. The second thing he says in this word picture is the one concerning an athlete. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. He's saying follow the rules. Be an athlete that actually wants to try to win the race. He's not talking about somebody on a fun run or just jogging through the forest, you know, with flowing yellow ribbons from their hair. He's talking about act like you want to win. There's a difference. One is for fun, one is for winning. If you're going to actually try to win a race, you are not going to show up on the day of without a stitch of practice or warm-up or anything like that. No, you're going you're to go to the weight room for a long while, or you're going to run for a long while before the day of the race. You're going to go to um, your coach and say, Coach, what else do I need to do to strengthen this part of my body? You're going to go to the gym. You're going to, you're going to stretch. You're going to do repetitions, boring, same thing over and over. That's how you become excellent, a winner, get victory in any kind of sport. It takes hours of pre-game discipline. And in the same way, I think Paul's given us that analogy to say that's kind of how you become a good Christian, strong, not good like, oh, Good Christian, no, I mean strong, effective, useful Christian. Like you really want to win something. What we're striving for is the love and approval of God, the applause of heaven. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. But he says, if you want to be useful to Jesus in a dying world, you have to always be in training. That's why, I know it gets old, but you've got to come to church a lot, like year-round, You've got to read your Bible a lot, like all week long, at least three days a week. You've got to worship openly, and even if you're embarrassed about your voice, you have to be in fellowship with other Christians. That's the constant training. I heard a, a young family once say uh, the, the kids were getting old enough where they started to get stubborn and, you know, independent, like, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And uh, the son said, Mom, I don't want to go to church. And 
the mother, you know, rather than just like, you know, shaking him, oh, get in the car, get those clothes on. Instead of doing that, she goes, you know what, I don't either. It shocked him. What? You always go to church. I know, but I don't do it because I want to. I do it because I need to. I love this uh, idea that Paul's given us because it gives me so many analogies. You know, when uh, he says, follow the rules, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments or as if there are really strict rules in the sports. He's talking about the principles of preparation. There are rules to bodybuilding. You've got to eat well, and you've got to work out regularly, and you've got to know when to stop. So he's just talking about the principles of health, basically. And um, if we filled our mind with the content that's useful, then when the Spirit knocks on our door and says, hey, can you share something with your friend here? It'll be there. If we practiced and trained ourselves on a weekly basis, even when there's nothing going on, there's no opportunities, nobody's asking about the Lord, they're not in great need where I feel like I should pray for them. And even when there's nothing going on, we gotta stay in training. Just keep at it, even when it's kind of boring and dry. Because when that moment comes, we wanna be ready. One more thing about being an athlete. Um, I don't know if you, do you guys watch the Olympics? Track and field especially, I, I love, Track and field, the high jump, pole vault, ooh, I love it. But every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll you know, tune in a, a long race, like 1,500 meters you know, around the track. And uh, the first lap, I don't know the exact rules, but the first lap, everybody has to stay in their lane. And then once you know, they run the first track, then they can kind of file off and everybody take the inside corner. And uh, I, I just love that phrase. You know, if you want to be a winning athlete and not get disqualified, stay in your lane. And uh, what that means, I think, is we need to know what our particular spot is on the team, what we're called to do, because uh, not every Christian is called to be loud and boisterous street corner preachers. That's just not going to happen. If that's you, great. Don't come under the pressure of saying, oh, I'm just too loud and noisy. I'm so sorry, everybody. Well, you could be, learn to be kinder, perhaps, or more tactful, perhaps, but don't try to be somebody you're not. Stay in your lane. On the other hand, if you're shy and bashful and just really are easily intimidated by people, don't try to be that other guy or gal. Just be shy and bashful, and when you have a moment, one-on-one, -on -one, to squeak up a word, that would be great. In the meantime, you could do lots of things silently, just actions of love and kindness. Live the gospel in front of people. If you don't do either one of those things, but you like to work with your hands, be productive in the service of others. You can just demonstrate the gospel by your actions. I love it. Stay in your lane. You know, uh, Pete Carroll, uh, it's so fun to listen to him when he's interviewed, especially early in the season, because right now, oh, by the way, Pastor Kevin and Mitch, I think you went to the first... Uh, it's not the home opener. It's called the preseason game. Yeah. How'd they do? Woohoo! Yeah. So anyway, early in the season, I love listening to Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seahawks. Uh, every time he interviews them, they ask him, you know, who's making the team, who's not going to make it. And Pete always inv invariably says something like, you know, it's so funny to watch the young guys, the rookies. They are so talented nowadays. They are so fast. They can jump so high. They try to do everything. And it gets them in trouble every time. Because we've set up our defense so the entire field is covered, and one of these young guys gets all excited, leaves his zone, and tries to help a friend, or he's sure he can do better than his friend over here. Sure enough, the 
Opposition takes the hole and scores a touchdown. Stay in your lane. So it goes, it's, it's more of a mental game for these young guys because they're so fast and so talented. And it doesn't matter how gifted you might be. It's really important that you continually say, Lord, fine-tune my call. Fine-tune my assignment so I, I can get better and better in that. And yeah, I'm going to get stretched to the left and to the right. have to go over and help out once in a while, but let me know my part and not try to play superhero, super athlete, super Jesus. All right, a third way we can grow in our passion in Christ. Keep your eye on the prize. We will reap a reward. The price you pay, the time you take, the sacrifices you make today. Ashley, thank you, same word. That's going to be a reward. It's being noticed. Every act of obedience and sacrifice is marked in God's book of life. And he's going, ching ching and you're ringing up diamonds for your crown right there. Every single moment. He doesn't miss a thing. Even if people, man, don't acknowledge you. He finishes with, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Wow. Just it's kind of a interesting metaphor. Why would he choose a hardworking farmer? Let me hear some feedback. Like, what is, I've never worked on a farm, I don't think, in my entire life, but I can imagine what it might be like. What is it like if you're a hardworking farmer? What's your life like? What are some of the qualities of your life? Hand to mouth. Hand to mouth? Yeah, oh, yeah, just day by day, week to week. Got it, yeah. What else? Yeah, commitment. Yeah, commitment to those crops. You don't get to do it when you want. You need to serve when they need it, right? What else? What's a farmer's life like? Take care of the farm before your personal needs. Sure, what else? I heard it over here. Patience and faith. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, heard another one. Wake up early. That was the first thing on my list, man. Early, early, early. Yeah, no vacation, no, yeah, no weekends, no nothing. Bob? No security of bad weather or bad season. Yeah. Everything that you've worked for. Wow, the risk is high, yes. Dedication. Dedication, yeah. I mean, there's a ton of cost involved in being a farmer. So I'm thinking that's probably why Paul chose this. I mean, he's in a prison in Asia Minor. No, I think he was in Rome by now. And uh, he's thinking farming because he's trying to paint a picture that most people can relate to. Right, here's my list. Up early in the morning, and you don't go to bed till the work is done. Um, watch out for pests and weeds, and deal with them when you see them. Have lots of kids. More hands on deck. <laughs> Bring in the harvest when it's ready, when you're, not when you're ready. And uh, somebody said, hand them out. Yeah, self-sufficient. you got to feed your family first. So I'm thinking, all right, that's, that's really what Jesus has called us to when he said, I want you to be my child forever. I want to save you from sin and judgment and hell, and I want to be your Lord, your ruler, your boss, your CEO forever. He's kind of saying, if you say yes to that, here's what you're saying yes to. It's a whole life commitment. It's not just when we want, when it's fun, when it's easy, because that commitment we're making is to a kingdom that is permanent, like a crop this year is Everything I'm putting my hope in, it's permanently going to take care of me or it's going to ruin me. But the kingdom, of course, never ruins me. It's permanent. It's right in front of me all the time. And I'm here to serve God's purposes, not my own. And I never get to escape from that. Our salvation is free and it's simple. Just say, yes, Jesus, I'm yours. That's a simple act. If we meet it in our hearts, it's good. He goes, got it. Being fruitful, on the other hand, 
That takes constant effort, 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 focus. Yes to this, no to that. Effort, effort, like the farmer, every single morning. And I wonder, I was asking the question, Lord, why is it that this ongoing effort is required? It's not always hard days. Not every day is hard as a Christian. Not every day is easy. There's always a whole mixture of both, right? But it's, it's making that commitment that this crop is mine. The people in my life are the ones he's assigned to me, whether it's your family or extended workforce or whatever it is that you, group that you travel with. Um, this is my assignment. And I was asking, why, is it, why does it have to be hard, Lord? Because it is hard sometimes to say yes. And here's what he told me. He said, because you are so broken and the only way I can make you more like my son is to reveal things about yourself that you get to deal with. That's what makes it hard, is you discover things about you that you didn't know were there. Other people may have seen them or said something, but you didn't know they were there. That's the hard part, because now you've got to acknowledge, man, Lord, I've, I've got some pride issues. Lord, I've got some really scary kind of attractions, man. I, uh, I, I need to deal with that. And the hardest part is really becoming more like Christ and being honest about that and saying, the hard work is I, I need to readjust my focus in life. I'm drawn way too easily over here. I have to put in the time. Memorize verses. Be accountable to other people. I've got to put in the time to become more like my Savior. So if we will be willing to do the work, pay the price, we will reap the reward so what is a reward? What would be the corresponding spiritual harvest that is coming our way? You know. You know what it is. What are some of the facets of the reward that's headed our way? Eternal life and? I'm sorry? Heaven, right. Thank you. Yeah, eternal life, heaven. So we've got the long-term reward, but how about the immediate reward? Right here and now. Yeah, Bill. Yeah. Yeah, just, just enjoying becoming the person you always dreamed of being, the kind, fruit of the Spirit-filled life. And I'm thinking the here and now is like, I, I tell you, one of the things that makes me the happiest right now is knowing God just smiled at me because it's something I chose to do. And I see my father going... Taking his arms, you know. That's, that's so cool. It's very real. You know when you've pleased God. You know when you've pleased him. You can sense that. You said yes to this and no to that. I think another um, thrill for me in the here and now is knowing and sensing that I actually helped another human being get closer to him. And somehow, although I'm broken, fallen flesh, God chose to allow me to be useful in that endeavor. And I get to watch it go, wow. Thank you, Lord. You didn't have to do that. You could have done that by yourself. So this reward is both for this life and for the life to come. And I think if we would remember that, then uh, we'll take care of the harvest. Not the, har yeah, the crops in front of us. And uh, not turn away, but just say, Lord, I know. In fact, later in, in this letter to Timothy, Paul goes, he says, um, something like, my time is near, and now there awaits for me a crown of glory. It has been held for me from eternity. And I thought, that's kind of arrogant. 
I know I'm going to get a big crown, baby, because I've been doing so many great things for God. That's not what Paul's saying. It's not a statement of arrogance. It's a statement of absolute confidence that God keeps his promises. It's really happening, guys. It's coming, and I know. He's not measuring and not comparing to anybody else, but he goes, I just know it's there. It's there for you as well. It's there for you as well. So when we hear about all the bad news and the ugliness and the sickness around us, uh, remember, Jesus is the world's only hope. Only hope. It's not the politicians. It's not the economy. It's not saving the planet or the whale or the next trendy thing that comes down the line. It's receiving Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and then running like an athlete as if you really want to win. Do the hard work like a farmer. Remember, you're here to please your commanding officer like a soldier. And you're going to have what it takes when that opportunity comes for you to speak into somebody's life who suddenly, it's weird because how does this happen? Words come out of our mouth and somehow a human heart is transformed when God is in it. How does that happen? It's a miracle. But you'll be ready, you'll be available, you'll be fruitful in the lives of those people around you. And just stay in your lane. Don't try to do everybody. Do the ones God puts in front of you. Speak, but first seek. Be like this precious woman to whom much was forgiven and therefore she loved much. Mary Magdalene. I want to uh, be sure that you know what I mean when I say salvation, eternal life, and going to heaven, forgiven of sin. All of those Bible terms actually mean one simple thing. Apart from Jesus, we are absolutely, completely, spiritually lost. There is no way we will make it past the grave. There is no way, no matter how good of a person you were. You could be Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, you could be the Pope. Apart from asking Jesus to come into your heart, there is no hope for you beyond the grave. And the Bible says, beyond the grave for those, it's outer darkness. It calls it hell and Hades in a couple of places, but I think, for me, the word outer darkness kind of really describes it. Like the presence of God is the inner light where he is, there is light, and all those who are his are living in the light. And it's just like this sphere, this globe of light around him. But those people are outside that globe, and they can never get in. Salvation means you recognize that there's a spiritual dominion that ultimately rules the universe. And it's not the devil, and it's not hell. It is God and Jesus, his son. And that dominion is a place that will never go away. It'll never change. It'll never be conquered. And you'll either be in it or you'll be out of it. And Jesus said, there is no way you can get to the Father unless you come through me. So I just want to make sure you've prayed that prayer, you've made that commitment, and if you haven't, you could do it any place, any time. You don't need to be at a church. don't need to talk to a pastor or a priest or anybody else. You can talk directly to God and just tell him just that. Lord, I want to be yours. And he'll say, I receive you right now. Once you do that, however, know this. You're going to have to work at understanding what it means to be a child of God. And that's where the Bible comes in. That's where fellowship, church, teaching, learning, and growing comes in. I want to make sure you understand. It's not just, I prayed the prayer and then go right back to living your old life. You'll have to leave some things behind. But God will take care of that. He'll show you what those things are if you pursue him. So Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to become more like your son and to become more useful to you, especially in this crazy, crazy world we're living in.
Would you give us the energy, the passion, the desire to do the work, to pay the price, and to please you at every turn so that when opportunity does come to speak life and hope and salvation and the name of Jesus to our friends and family, we're ready, we're filled. That river of life actually flows out of us and your Holy Spirit does work that only you can do. Help us to be those useful workers for you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.